Welcome to Stuff from the Science Lab from HowStuffWorks.com. Hey guys, welcome to the podcast. This is Allison Lattermilk, the science editor at HowStuffWorks.com. And this is Robert Lamb, a science writer at HowStuffWorks.com. And today's uh, podcast, we're talking about maggots. All right, maybe you listened to our last podcast. We're kind of on a roll with uh, perhaps animals that people consider not so attractive. Yeah. We might were, be grossed out by. Yeah, we were going to do uh, one podcast about both maggots and leeches, but uh, each bloodsucker, uh, and they're not both bloodsuckers, but be each uh, creature t- uh, turned out to be interesting enough in its own right to deserve its own podcast. Right. And, and maggots, I have to say, I've, I've softened a little bit toward, toward maggots just yeah. because they are so vital. It, you know what it was? It was the podcast we did on composting, which is one of my favorite ones that we've yeah. done so far. And it's just a realization that they're necessary. And okay. So I can prove to you that my attitude has changed toward maggots because in fact, we had a trash incident. Oh yeah. You had some maggots at the house. We keep our trash outside. There was a, a period where, unfortunately, the trash did not get to go out, and you know, some stuff was was born in that uh, in that short time span. And I unfortunately opened the lid to the trash can, and of course, I saw all of the all of the maggots. It was a little bit traumatic, but it wasn't as traumatic uh, had it been, you know, before the composting podcast. Yeah. I think. I don't know if I was ever really grossed out by, like, I you know, as a kid, you know, I, I kind of lived in the the country. And we would, you know, you ate be, maggots. No, but there would be like dead <laughs> animals, and you'd see some something crawling around in it, and you know, it was just it was was what Psycho it was. Cycle life. Yeah, and I know, and, and I and I mean, I guess having watched a fair amount of horror, like occasionally maggots will show up. But the most amusing thing is that, like, sometimes, like, really cheap productions, they couldn't actually get maggots, I guess, which seems How like... How is that possible? I don't know. It seems like, yeah, just think ahead and put some meat out, you know, and then pick them out with tweezers, right? But I don't know. It's like they will get some other type of worm to pretend to be maggots. So, like, <laughs> if you've ever seen maggots, you're like, those aren't maggots. Those are, like, there's some sort of earthworm or something, <laughs> you know? And then they'll use, like, a sound effect for the worm to make it seem, sound like they're yelling or something. I don't know. At any rate... Um, you know, we're ma- talking about maggot therapy. Yeah, today. maggot therapy. Let's is what we're get talk on about. track. Yeah. And you know, in a world where public image counts a lot, maggot therapy is one therapy that really suffered a fall, but it, it's starting to come back in triumph. Yeah, though it it does still doesn't sound good. Like I think they need a like a snazzier name for it. Well, there are. I, I think uh, some people call it um, larval therapy. See, that sounds a lot better. Um, there is a more technical name, I think, uh, maggot debridement therapy. Debriding just meaning, uh, the removal of, of dead tissue. Mm-hmm. I, don't, I still don't think that's such a good seller. Yeah, because it's still that's got maggot so- in the title. Right, know? right. You gotta get rid of the maggot in the title if you wanna do an elevator pitch and sell your therapy to some yeah. million dollar venture capitalist. So anyway, back in the 1940s, when antibiotics first came onto the medicinal scene, maggots, you know, that's really when they fell out of favor. Mm-hmm. I mean, who's gonna want, you know, a little a grub, a larval fly to be, you know, investigating your wounds when you could just pop an antibiotic. Yeah. And so they're back now and they're hungry. So, OK, what's a maggot again? You guys know this, but for the sake of it, we'll just go over it real fast. It's, you know, a soft bodied legless grub. It's the larva of a dipterous insect. In other words, it's a fly larva. It's yeah. an immature fly. Okay, here's something that I came across. And there's all some sorts of good stuff that we come across while we're researching this podcast. And we give as much of that research as we can to you guys. But the second definition of maggot is a fantastic or eccentric idea. Huh. I've never, I've never heard of that either. But I like the idea of, yeah, of using it more like, 
you know, like we'll come up to, uh, uh, you know, we'll you're be, our editor in chief. Yeah, we'll be like, hey, room. Connell, I got a real maggot here for you, but uh, <laughs> what do you say we do an entire article about, you know, something uh, about, um, you know, about, He'd roll uh, about with something it. I think he would with totally maggots. roll with it. Yeah. <laughs> so, what are used? Uh, what are maggots used for in in maggot therapy? Well, as it turns out, we have a uh, a pretty good article on this written by freelancer Tom Chev. And mainly it's, it's cleaning wounds. Yeah. It's kind of like they like to eat really gross flesh stuff. And so if you're in a situation where you're like, Hey, what are we going to do with this gross fleshy stuff we need removed? Hey, you guys want to eat it? Hop on, you know? Well, in particular, they have a predilection for, for dead tissue. Yeah. They're really good at removing dead tissue. And unless things get out of hand, like they're pretty good about like just eat the, the dead just tissue. Just sticking to the yeah. dead tissue. Yeah. Yeah. So that's I mean, perfect. Yeah. 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 So what kind of wound? You couldn't trust like a, a, like a buzzard with that, you know? Heck no. Like, hey guys, just pick at the, the rotten stuff, but leave the rest of the leg alone. And they'd be like, oh yeah, sure. <laughs> so, um, in particular, they come in handy. Maggot therapy comes in handy for traumatic or post-surgical wounds that just won't heal. Um, but important note to doctors here considering this. Um, I was reading that wounds with tunnels or kind of hiding spots for the maggots aren't necessarily good candidates for this particular yeah. kind of therapy. Also, important note to doctors, <laughs> if you're listening to our podcast and using that to, to decide how you're going to treat your patients, just really reconsider how you're going about things. Um, also interesting was I, I found that there was a very small study. Uh, participants were numbered 13 in all. And I found that people with um, MRSA contaminated wounds were cured using nothing but maggots. Right. Okay, And MRSA, of course, um, is a type of infection that's resistant to certain antibiotics. So that would be... You know, a big deal, especially when, uh. This is like when somebody gets like a, an antibiotic resistant staph infection type of thing going yes, on. Yeah, yes, yes. Okay. Yeah. That is exactly what MRSA okay. is. So, so it would prove handy in that case. And a lot of times maggot therapy is going to come in handy when you have stuff like ulcers. And oddly enough, these ulcers mainly are, are located on your lower extremities. Mm-hmm. So there's one called a venous stasis ulcer. Now this one is, a, this is the one, correct me if I'm wrong, but it's kind of like, if I'm standing in one place for a while and I feel like I need to shift and move around, it might be because I had too much coffee, but it could be because like my no, body's no, telling me to move around. That's the neuropathic foot ulcer, and we will get to that in okay. a second. That's nerve damage. Uh, no, so the venous stasis ulcer is you're going to find these below the knee, especially in the niche, that tiny little cute niche just above the ankle. And, and they're common in patients who have uh, medical charts filled with stuff like leg swelling and varicose veins or, you know, a history of blood co- okay. clots in those in the leg veins. You were jumping the gun, but yes, indeed, okay. the neuropathic foot ulcer is uh, also a candidate for um, maggot therapy. And for the love of God, I know you will, but don't link these up in Google Images. I it was, whew, that yeah. was a tough one. It stuck with me. It's seared in my brain. The neuropathic foot ulcer that I though if you if you have one of these, by all means, take a picture of it and send it to us. Like <laughs> somebody did Robert. with their feet uh, with the what's it feline hookworms that the person sent us a photo of canine hookworms canine hookworms yeah. In yeah. human feet. I can still picture it. That was a cool picture. Yeah. yeah I, really I can still it. see it too. It's burned into my mind. <laughs> so these neuropathic foot ulcers, like you can probably guess, these occur due to nerve damage. And um, like Robert was getting at, uh, having intact nerves is a pretty handy thing. We like we all like having intact nerves. You know, it helps us tell you when to shift position if you're standing on your feet, um, mm-hmm. the nerves in your your lower extremities. And if you lose that information, then you're going to lose awareness as to what's going on down there. Right. Yeah. And you can have some crazy things start happening to your feet. 
maybe you get some cuts, they appear and, and you don't notice. Maybe you get a blister, you don't notice. And it just gets, you know, it starts festering and they progress and they progress. And then you, you have a serious infection on your hands, which leads us to the next kind of ulcer that, uh, maggot therapy is, is being used for. And these are called pressure ulcers, aka and, bed sores. Yeah. Yeah. These are the ones you get if you're, if you're laid up for a while. Yeah, and pressure ulcers also affect uh, another population uh, that's not bedridden, and that would be diabetics. Oh. So little little known to me, diabetics and ulcers are um, have a pretty significant history. Well, I I was familiar with you know like some a lot of times diabetics end up having to go in for amputation later on. Right. Well, so chronic conditions like diabetes or um, different vascular diseases they mess up your circulation, they mess mm. up your blood flow. And um, we'll we'll get to the maggot diabetic thing in a sec, but let's talk about this pressure ulcer just so we can get okay. into the maggot yeah. therapy. What's happening? We're gonna walk you through the steps involved in a pressure ulcer. Starts off, it's a red spot on your skin. You press on it, maybe it doesn't turn white. Okay. So, so maybe you know something's up, but you probably don't notice it. This is stage one of the pressure ulcer. Next up, you get your open sore going on, and the areas around the sore they start to they start to get a little angry, you know. The ulcer starts to spread its madness, and next comes the crater. And this is pretty much, um, you know, you can kind of see a, a crater in your skin where the uh, tissue has started to, to break down and go to heck, basically. Right. And this is when you need to send in the maggots. Well, eventually, pressure ulcers escalate to the point that they become so deep that, of course, they damage surrounding muscle and bone, and they can even spread to tendons and joints. And yes, this is, this is when the maggot therapy might be called in. And before that, a lot of people only had the option of amputation. You know, the infection got so bad that you're faced with, well, we have to amputate that, that leg, the toe, the foot. Yeah, um, because what you, all you have are these big surgical um, devices. And what you need is a little bitty surgeon or a team of little bitty surgeons, right? To in go the in form there. Of maggots, yeah. indeed. Yeah, and it's a pretty it's a pretty significant problem for diabetics once you consider that there are 23 million in the United States, according to the American Diabetes Association, and you're looking at about 70,000 amputations uh, di- for diabetics occurring every year, according to uh, the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. That's, quite That's a lot. lot. Yeah. Do you like your feet? You like yeah, having yes. all your body parts, yeah, we, right? As we discussed in the uh, prosthetics uh, podcast, I'm, I, I do like my limbs. And- Right, right. So a lot of us, I would imagine, would be interested in avoiding amputation, apart from that one special group of people. Do you remember that? Oh, yes, that, that crave it. But, yeah, but they're, but they're actively seek yeah, out. They're sick in the head, though. Well, they're, 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 they have problems. Some yes, serious, yes, serious they problems. do have problems. Um, so anyway, we, we get these people who are faced with amputation or, or what? Well, as it turns out, or maggot therapy. And a really important note that I think we should emphasize here, it's not supposed to replace existing therapies. Like, you're not going to, maggots are never going to take the place of surgery. They're never going to take the place of antibiotics. Yeah, this isn't like some sort of quack technique where it's like, like, uh, we really wish that, uh, you know, Mary would go to an actual doctor, but she's going to that maggot physician. No, it's, it's, uh, it's not a first line defense. Right. And another thing is that when we were researching this podcast, I happened to find out that um, there is a substance called hydrogels, and they're capable of performing a lot of the functions that maggots can do uh, in maggot therapy. Hmm. So, and some of the research seemed to indicate that hydrogels and maggot therapy had about equally effective utility. Okay. And, and you know, so hydrogels are without the maggots. So people very well might opt for those. But. Let's get into the process. Let's let's release the maggots, shall we? Okay. So yeah. So we've got this uh, 
putrid area that needs a clean up. We got some, uh, some, some dead tissue that needs to be cleared away from the, the live t- tissue. Yeah. So first step, you got to get the maggots, but don't, don't go gathering up the maggots yourself. Yeah. You um, want some farm raised, right? <laughs> don't slather them, you know, willy nilly all over the wound. <laughs> Although I did read one, uh, one article that said patients could be taught to administer this treatment themselves. And then when they were done with the maggots, they just toss them in the garbage and be done with it. Huh. Yeah. They probably would, uh, would like that, right? Yeah. Um, I imagine the danger is that you probably need to have a strong stomach. And then, of course, you could get the ratio wrong because, like we said, there is a particular ratio you're looking for. And, in fact, the general rule of thumb is that you're going to want about eight maggots per square centimeter of uh, flesh that you want them to consume. Otherwise, they go a little crazy, right? Well, they're going to get hungry. Yeah. Right. So you don't want to overpopulate. Don't overpopulate. But let's let's get back to the process. you you got to have the maggots. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. So you're going to want to have the maggots and, um, uh, you want to have, again, the right maggots, uh, cause there are a lot of different flies in the world and, uh, and all of them have larvae. Uh, but you're going to, generally the most uh, favored uh, variety is the green blow fly, which is, uh, do you want to take a shot at the scientific name? Uh, I'm going to give it Phoenicia sericata. Ooh, sounds actually kind of tasty. <laughs> Um, Sounds like an Italian dessert. Yeah, and these are grown again in lab, uh, in, in a lab, in a d- disease-free environment, and they're shipped in uh, sterile containers, probably overnight. Yeah. All right. So the maggots show up; they're ready for business. Well, mm-hmm. you got to have an open wound of some sort, right? And preferably, that wound is clean. Yeah. It's open water, wash it out, etc. Yeah. Okay, so a key part of the process here, because a lot of us are not at all cool with maggots just, you know, wandering around our open sores, is a sedative. Often patients uh, who choose to undergo maggot therapy will be administered a sedative, a heavy one. Yeah, and when you first mentioned this, I I was thinking like, oh, these guys are kind of wimps. They just don't want it to feel, want to feel like they're you know little larvae crawling on them. But then the whole thing is that they're they're crawling on air on very sensitive areas, like inflamed, you know, gross areas that you know. So it's like pressure on a wound. So of course you don't want to feel that. Right, they're getting fat yeah. off of you know eating your necrotic tissue, and it's putting pressure on the wound. And in fact, patients have reported uh, that maggot therapy can be more painful than other kinds of therapy. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. So, I mean, you really want to not be aware of it, I would yeah. think. So the fact that it's hurting, you know, and you're, you you know that there are maggots in there, that would that would sort of add. But again, if you were using vultures, <laughs> the sedation would have to be a lot heavier. Right. So so no vultures. Okay. So you're going to add these live maggots to the wound, and like uh, with leeches, um, you're going to you got to seal them off. Yeah. You got to you got to you keep don't them want on them task. running all over the place. Yeah. You gotta direct them to the task. And so you're gonna seal it off and then you're gonna cover uh, the wound with a bandage to keep it in place. And you can also, um, and as opposed, if you're opposed to having them kind of crawling freely, you can put them in a bio bag or this sealed nylon bag. And of course, um, necessity is the mother of all inventions. So there's a company now, Monarch Labs, that's come out with a special maggot dressing. It has Ooh. a nice name too. Yeah. I think, I think there was some of that in the fridge here at work until they, <laughs> And they threw it away. Yeah. It's disgusting. It was the Paul Newman variety too, so I'm sure it was healthy, but you know. Oh, right. So this was not salad dressing, but rather wound dressing, and it's called La Flap. It's 25 bucks. La Flap? La Flap. Okay. It's a nice French name. It does. It brings an element of class to maggot therapy, which, you know, needs a little bit of that. 
So according to the company, the first pre-manufactured cage dressing available for the U.S. market, that's what it is. The single-piece La Flap maggot confinement dressing is intended to prevent medicinal maggots from leaving the wound before the treatment is scheduled to end. And, of course, reduce the time and cost necessary to confine them to the wound. So you can look that up over at Monarch Labs if you Yeah, you sent a picture of this, right? I did. Yeah. It kind of looks like a sticker with a part that peels off and uh, in the part that peels off, you'd see the wound. Yeah. It's kind of like if you were painting a design on something, you need like a stencil, right? Yeah. Yeah. yeah it's kind of like a, a maggot stencil. Yeah. So yeah. So in a few uh, days time, you change or replace the bandage and the maggots. Uh, and uh, then you flush them out with uh, probably like a saline solution or something. But wait, 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 wait. You missed the most important part. You missed what's happening in the maggots. Oh, well, yes. What they're doing. Well, they're yeah, they're eating up all that uh, decaying flesh. And uh, they're clearing the place of bacteria, mm-hmm. or at least they're capable of clearing the place of a lot of uh, different species of bacteria. Yeah, again, because they got these tiny little mouths, uh, you know, going after the little bits there. And uh, and the whole time they're uh, oozing fluids too. Right. They're turning to some enzymes for help with breaking down the dead tissue further, and they're stimulating cell growth. They're uh, <laughs> this is pretty cool. They're also excreting an antibacterial agent. Yeah, I imagine if we excreted an antibacterial agent. Yeah. Just imagine the possibilities. That would be- Kind of cool, I guess. But, but, uh, yeah, this is, this kind of boils down to what I've read before, like people talking about how maggots are, are really like, they're, they're kind of clean. They're pretty clean organisms, you know? They, they, they're like in the a, pig. Yeah. Yeah. They may be in gross, uh, situations, but, you know, there's, there's nothing wrong. This is also why the maggot, uh, I believe I, I read something a while back, uh, talking about if we were ever to send astronauts to Mars, uh, you know, long space flight. But yeah. if you could get, uh, get them to eat maggots, Astronauts. You want astronauts, astronauts to eat maggots, and that would be awesome because maggots. I mean, they're they're, they're larvae, and they're, all they do is fatten up and get ready for the next stage of their life. So they they have a, a lot of like protein in them. And they're like very nutritious. That's why like chickens chickens will eat the heck out of maggots. You know. Yeah. Their whole like uh, their whole like farming operations that depend on like like uh, making sure that like the chickens eat the maggots. Or I think there's some like tilapia farming um, uh, processes <laughs> out there where. Like seriously, it's like I remember hearing about this where it's like the, the tilapia. You harvest the tilapia meat, uh-huh. then you let uh, flies land on the the leftovers. Okay, maggots grow. Then you get the maggots and you feed the maggots the tilapia, etc. So that's nice. It's very efficient. Yeah. So yeah, maggots basically they just need a little bit of a uh, a new campaign. Mm-hmm. A new a new PR campaign to to revise their image, don't you think? Yeah, because like the treatments are really pretty cheap, right? It's like a hundred bucks. Yeah, it can be a hundred bucks, and uh, so that's a lot less uh, than surgery. And probably yeah. your insurance company would be more psyched to you know dish out a hundred bucks than the cost involved in surgery. Yeah, put that in the ad campaign. I can like see like the the the, uh, the TV ad with like you know people walking through a field and they start having a heart to heart about maggots. <laughs> So the treatment can last as long as uh, 10 days, and it's important to note that pa- patients may also be taking antibiotics uh, while the maggot therapy is going on. So let's talk about it. You guys may think we're a little crazy. You might not have heard this before. You're thinking, no, I don't buy it. Robert and Allison, they're sort of out there. Yeah, because we've talked, it's kind of like the whole thing with the hookworm treatment. The hookworm treatment was is still considered out there, but... Well, we only mentioned that in passing. In the yeah, yeah but podcast. it's gotten a lot of, but it's gotten a lot of coverage elsewhere. Hellman yeah. therapy. You just did a blog post on it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So, so there are some pretty major, uh, supporters, or at least, uh, people who don't object to maggot therapy. One of them being the U.S. Food and Drug Administration. Yeah. They came around to it in 2004, the same year that they were, they decided to be okay with leeches. Yeah. It was yeah. a whole banner year. Yeah. The Leech and Maggot Council really, uh, 
<laughs> made some uh, some some uh, progress that year. And more recently, uh, November 2009, you had the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services in the U.S. Um, revising their billing code guidelines uh, in an effort to help patients get reimbursed for maggot therapy. Mm-hmm. Health Canada, the uh, Canadian public health agency, has gone so far as to classify medical maggots as drugs. Oh, cool. So, of course, downsides of therapy, there's side effects. There are, you know, other things that you need to consider when you're considering your overall health. Yeah. So maggot therapy, limited research out there. So I was reading an article in the Journal of the Canadian Medical Association, a CMAJ, I believe. And the article is mentioning that there are only two randomized clinical trials on maggot therapy that have ever been published. Okay. So that's kind of... Kind of a s- small amount of information out there. And a lot of these studies um, that I was encountering, you know, pretty small, mm-hmm. little studies done here and there. There's also, of course, the ew factor of maggot therapy. Yeah. Yeah. Like we touched on, it's like it's hard to get past the the fact that it does involve letting little tiny larvas munch on your flesh. Right. And and you also mentioned like some people were also like concerned, like, oh, what if the maggots escape their enclosure and someone sees one on the floor? Yeah. But what if you're going to your doctor's office and he's going to give you your maggot therapy? You know, some escape. You're you're in the waiting room. You're, you know, scanning your copy of People. All of a sudden, you know, a maggot crawls across your foot. Maybe a maggot crawls across Katie Holmes's eye while you're looking at the cover <laughs> of People. I mean, well, uh, but I think that, I don't think that would be good. It would not be good. But it comes. It's. I mean, cleanliness is goes hand in hand with with proper medicine. So it's kind of like the, you also would want to go in to get your checkup. And be like, oh my God, somebody lanced a boil on this table and it's still yucky there. No, because if they, they would clean it up, you know, so. It, this is true. Now, granted, a, a maggot, unlike boil pus, will, can actually conceivably crawl out of a room or something. But still, it's, uh, you know. Good point. It's, you know, but it's, it's still, they can do things to keep it clean. You know? And in fact, doctors do things, do do things to, to keep their offices clean. And yeah. we, we thank them for that. Yeah. Okay, so another downside, maggots. They die easily. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah they're, they're not they're, particularly long-lived, so you got to have a good stock of them. Yeah, and you can't just, again, you can't just go up on the roof and, like, throw down a hamburger patty and come back in a couple hours. <laughs> you know, it's like you, you need to get them, again, through through actual um, medicinal maggot providers. So Yeah, yeah. And lastly, uh, some bacteria, some species of bacteria may thwart maggots and leave them dead. Um, if you send them in to clean an infected wound. And one of the species in question is called Pseudomonas aeruginosa, I believe. Also sounds kind of tasty. All these, <laughs> they all sound like something I would get at an Italian restaurant. <laughs> I'll have the Pseudomonas aeruginosa, please. Yeah. With a Caesar it. salad. I think that one is more of a red sauce, and the one we named earlier was white. And then, of course, maggots. Painful. Can be painful when you're having this mm-hmm. treatment. So I feel like we should end this podcast on the question of whether you'd do it. Would you do it? Would you undergo maggot therapy? Yeah, I mean, definitely. If it was a situation where people were like, hey, we may have to amputate and, you know, but we want to try maggots first, I would be like, by all means, let's try maggots. You know, I, I would not necessarily be opposed to the vultures you know, if, if, if that were. OK, vultures, no place. Maggot yeah. therapy, legit but, but, out there. Yeah, yeah it's, it's legit. Vultures just is just me talking about it. But no, it, it's I would definitely give the maggot option a go if it were something, you know, if it were recommended to me by my doctor. I think I would, too. Yeah. I would like to ask producer Matt. He's not allowed to talk. No, he's not. We can't see him either. I wonder if producer Matt would do it. Would you? Yes. 
Yeah, Matt would do it. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Matt has answered in the affirmative. So all three of us would do it if if we were presented with the right situation. Would you though? So write in and tell us. We'd love to hear from you. We'd we'd love to hear what you think about maggot therapy, or just maggots in general. You know. Yeah. Tell us tell us your impressions of maggots. Well, one of the things for me, like we we talked about leeches in an, in another podcast we recorded today, and then we talked about maggots. And neither of these have really like grossed me out because they seem very task based. There's there are definite things they're out there achieving. Like that that maggot, he's going to eat until he turns into a fly, and more power to him. That leech, that leech wants to drink blood and you know carry on. But I've always been really sickened out by garden slugs because I'm like, what the, what is this for? What is it doing? Unless it's like feeding off of just my utter revulsion at its like fat sliminess. I think that's an unfair characterization of the garden slug. Yeah. Well, I challenge you or anybody to tell me what good they're doing. All right. So challenge is out. Send us an email. Science stuff at howstuffworks.com. Maggots, slugs, we'd love to hear from you. And, uh, we got a little listener mail we'd like to share with you. Oh, cool. Today we have uh, we have Ryan, and he wrote in to talk to us about um, the podcast. He said, "Hey, I'm 14 and just got back from a one year trip to Japan. I really like the podcast, and it helped a lot on the plane ride back. I bet it did. That's one long." Uh, one long podcast. That's one long plane ride. Yeah. I wonder how many episodes of Stuff from the Science Lab you listen to. That could be a All lot. of them. <laughs> <laughs> so Ryan said, I listened to your smelling podcast and the smell of vision reminded me of something I saw in a Japanese museum. There was a computer that allowed you to play a bunch of videos, mostly cooking related, and smells would come out of the computer related to what you're watching. Have you guys heard of this? I think, yeah, I think I have heard of this. Yeah. It's pretty cool. I wonder what kind of smells. Well, you're very limited in what you can watch. Like, like you know, even there are some great things out there. I wouldn't necessarily want to watch, say, The Seven Samurai, you know, with in Smell-O-Vision or, uh, you know, or, or pretty much any film that I like. I can't think of one that would smell really good. I don't know. Amelie might smell good. Oh, Amelie. That would definitely smell good. Yeah. She's so cute. Yeah. She well, I mean, not good. just her, but like, you know, they're in a cafe. It's Paris. I don't know. Yeah. Agreed. Yeah. There's French perfume. There's flowers wafting through the air. There's the smell of a nice, you know, French roast. Yeah. That's a good smell. Now, speaking movie. of perfume, I don't know about the movie perfume. Like, oh, the scenes yeah. with the actual perfume probably smell really awesome, no but not way. so much the Paris gutters, you know. No. Hey, and uh, on a more serious note, we also heard from Joshua, and Joshua is a PhD candidate. Um, and he wrote in to talk to us about our recent Evolution in Action podcast. And he wanted to talk to us about uh, something that I said, actually. I was talking a little bit about um, antibiotics and um, just my parental fear. And Joshua and Allison mentioned that as a parent, it was troubling to give her child antibiotics because she feared that her child might evolve resistance to the antibiotic. And actually, that was a misstatement. So thank you, Josh, for correcting me. Uh, I just wanted to point out that her child wouldn't evolve resistance to the antibiotic because first, the target of the antibiotic is, of course, the bacterial population living inside the child, not the child itself. Second and more important, evolution can't happen within a single individual. The idea that an individual can change its attributes over uh, its lifetime to suit a set of environmental circumstances was champ- blah, blah, blah. So Josh had a lot to say, interesting stuff to say. Um, and I, I really appreciate that correction because it's an important distinction to make. I mean, it's not my my daughter evolving resistance. It's, uh, you know, the bacteria population in her, which, you know decided it didn't like a particular antibiotic. And it scared the heck out of me as a parent. But um, there are options out there. And 
it's pretty it's a it's important distinction to make, I think. What do you think? Yeah, totally. Yeah, we let, let us know when we uh slip up. And we'll uh, read the corrections in the air. Yeah, don't just talk about us in the alley or at work and be like, that Allison and Robert, you should have heard what they said the other day. You know, let us know. We'll, we'll clear the air. Yeah, we're happy to do so. Um, so, yeah, I think that about wraps it up. Thanks for listening to us. And uh, if you want to hang out on Facebook or Twitter, we're there, too. Yeah, um, on Facebook, we're Stuff in the Science Lab. And on Twitter, we are Lab Stuff. All right. Rock on. Thanks for listening. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com. Want more HowStuffWorks? Check out our blogs on the HowStuffWorks.com homepage. <laughs>